Hello and welcome to another episode of Brave UX. I'm Brendan Jarvis, Managing Founder of The Space In Between, the home of New Zealand's only specialist evaluative UX research practice and world-class UX lab, enabling brave teams across the globe to de-risk product design and equally brave leaders to shape and scale design culture. Here on Brave UX, though, it's my job to help you to put the pieces of the product puzzle together. I do that by unpacking the stories, learnings, and expert advice of world-class UX design and product management professionals. My guest today is Aditi Sharma. Aditi is the Executive Director of Digital Experience Design at JP Morgan Chase, a leading global financial services firm that serves clients in over 100 countries and has done so for over 200 years. At the firm, Aditi is championing user-centered design and innovation in payment operations and, through design, is working to increase inclusivity, sustainability, and business growth. Prior to joining JP Morgan Chase, Aditi was the design director at Accenture Interactive in New York, where she established customer-centric design programs for clients such as Walmart, DuPont, and Cargill. Passionate about design education, Aditi lectures at the Pratt Institute, where she is helping the next generation of designers to understand the finer points of practicing UX. Aditi also regularly shares her knowledge at conferences, on podcasts, and in publications such as CX Network, South by Southwest, and Product-Led Alliance. Recognized in 2020 by Authority Magazine as an inspirational woman in STEM and honored by the Government of India in 2021 with the prestigious Dr. Sarojini Award, Aditi is certainly someone to watch in design. And now it is my pleasure to welcome her to this conversation with me on Brave UX today. Aditi, welcome to the show. Hi, Brandon. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very, very excited to have you here too. I know we've been speaking about this for a couple of months, Aditi, and it's great to have you on the show. And as you know, I like to do a bit of research for these conversations. Now, I understand that your parents are both economists and that you're the youngest of three girls. Tell me, what was it like for you growing up in India? It's so amazing. I've I've heard your other podcast interviews as well, and it's so amazing, the, the research that you put into every one of them, it makes it special. And I knew the, the moment that I was coming into a podcast with you, that is going to be special. And when you ask me this question, it takes me back to a special time, an easier time where I was growing up in India, being the youngest of three girls, the, the society at the time. And I think we are, we are making great progress towards a much more equitable society for everybody, whichever gender you may identify with, but at the time, it was really hard for my parents to have another girl child in the family. And because of which, um, they went through a lot of financial troubles as well because you know they were really asked to leave the family inheritance behind. Uh, that meant that having a girl was something that almost was like a stigma at the time. And both of my parents um, believed in education, believed in empowering girls, and that's what they gave me. They made sure that their girls studied and focused really heavily, just not on their education, but also on, on educating people around them. Uh, and by education, I not just mean, mean literacy, but really 
helping another human being discover who they are, grow that, and retain that over years. Uh, so that's what I learned from them. And I think it had such a special impact on me because both of them were social workers as well. Uh, my mother was an educator, still is, and my, my father was an economist. Uh, and he would work with uh, marginalized communities and get them government aid. So I saw both of them with my mother going into underprivileged communities, going to these slum areas, and really pulling out girls and, and paying for their education and paying for their fees to make sure that they would come out of, of that, that environment. And my father there was sort of doing the same thing, but for communities um, and really helping them find uh, sustainable independence, financial independence. Uh, so I saw that growing up and that had such a huge impact. I saw them solving for problems in spite of limited resources. And that was in itself um, such a creative genius moment for me. And I've always found creative ways uh, all through my childhood. I would draw up uh, these different images that I would see on the street. I would pick up materials and I would build things. And uh, and at the same time, being, yes, a, a stereotype, but I was also preparing to be a doctor. Uh, so being a, a doctor on one side and being a designer on the other, that was uh, you know an easy choice for me because I knew that my parents would support support this very creative endeavor and they did ultimately uh, but i do know that uh, all of that growing up uh, understanding and finding your way and uh, really carving your way a lot of people tell me that i have a chip on my shoulder and <laughs> i've seen that in my design journey as well that that you know going for beyond the best uh, even with constraints and complexity the kind of work that i do today so i, I really think it's connected that full circle for me uh, where i've been okay with ambiguity, I've been okay with not having enough, and I've been okay with having it hard, but still making my way. You spoke a word in particular when you first started describing what it was like growing up in India, you know, to have an, another girl in the family. You mentioned it was almost like there was a stigma attached to that. And I recently watched a TED Woman talk by Lily Singh. And she was talking there about the seat at the table when it came to the entertainment industry and being a, a woman of color with uh, Indian heritage. And she also talked about the stigma. And it seems to me at least that cut quite deeply to her. And she talked about meeting her grandfather and the closing of that circle in terms of the patriarchal kind of toxicity that exists around gender in that respect. How if at all, does that still weigh on you? You know, you spoke about having a chip on your shoulder or other people have described that almost societal disappointment. Is that something that you, that, that sort of you've internalized and that you have carried with you or is that something that you have let go? I really think I've, I've taken that disappointment and I've turned that into hope and it's given me tons and tons of uh, courage um, uh, to stand up, to find my voice and to never give up really. And when you're told no a lot of times, uh, then you find a way uh, to turn that no into a yes. And that's something again that I see in my work a lot when I'm working with my stakeholders where probably I'm not getting a lot of headway, but I know that I can be persistent and I'll, and, and I'll make my way. But I think my father had a huge influence in how I approach my relationship 
uh, with patriarchy uh, overall. And he always told me growing up that you need to stop thinking about differences and you need to start celebrating uh, the commonalities and go for that and and look for the merit in people and build your own merit. Uh, you know, there's a saying in Hindi, uh, I'll translate it in English, but it, it's almost like when someone's drawing a line, you, you, you need to make a line that's much longer than the other person's line. That's the only way that that you can prove yourself to be worthy. Uh, it's not necessary to cut down on someone's line, but it's really about building your own journey and finding your way. And when I think about that, and I'm a married woman, and uh, when I when I got married as well, I know that there's a ton of responsibility that comes with that, especially as an Indian woman, where you are expected to have children at a certain age, you are expected to get married at a certain, certain age, you are expected to marry a certain kind of man as well. So everything's almost pre-decided for you as you are born into a family. And, and I think that given... Uh, the the great fortune that I had with the parents that I had growing up, uh, they always let me celebrate who I was. Uh, so I uh, never felt that I was being, uh, you know, uh, being smaller than anyone else. And I and I could find a way to connect with the other person, despite of, uh, you know, their demographics, despite of how they thought or the experiences that they had. And I think I made that more like a learning experience for me because that was the way that I saw me and my family survive. And when there were harder times uh, economically as well, and I know that my parents would give up on their on their own things to help us have a future. So that respect for me has really turned this disappointment sometimes that I've seen. And I talked to so many Indian girls out there who are uh, finding their way into design and they're trying to make make really, you know, that their voices heard. Uh, a lot of married women also reach out to me and they ask, me about what is it like to have a career um, after getting married, choosing not to have kids at a certain age, you know, even these simple sort of decisions that maybe, and I see a lot of other women as well going through similar questions and similar judgments, if you will. Uh, but but I really think that um, it's about finding that uh, that that inner voice within you, going back to who you are as a human being, and then what do you represent in the world, and then your your society at large. What are you bringing to the table? And by bringing more value to the table every time, I think that's how we neutralize the problems and uh, the injustices uh, that we've gone through as a race and as a com community, really. So. Yeah, so there's there's a lot that I've internalized. There's a lot that I bring to my work every day uh, by doing my very best and bringing my most authentic self to work every day. Uh, and that comes from a place of constant struggle <laughs> and uh, really finding, uh, you know, that, uh, yes, there is there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you keep, you know, Shawshank Redemption, you just need to keep uh, you know, just just going at it, and you'll you'll really make a tunnel. <laughs> you spoke about light, and I, I couldn't help but think to myself that you're starting to cast quite a long shadow. And it seems to me that you've had 
excellent role models in your parents and amongst a, a society that may not have been as conducive uh, at the time that you were born to those type of ideals that they've instilled in you and the, the grit and the determination that is clearly evident in how you've approached your career. Uh, also, I want to come to something else that's quite evident, particularly in people who have moved from their country of birth to other countries, and you're someone who has done that. You know, you've left India, you've gone to originally, I believe it was Loughborough University in the UK. You then moved to New York, and now you're back across the pond in London working for the bank. Given what you experienced growing up, your memories of India, the, the, the tie that you clearly have there in terms of family and ancestry, but also what you've experienced elsewhere in the world in these uh, very large, energetic uh, Western cities, can you see yourself returning at any point to live and work in India? Uh, my my entire family keeps asking me that question, and and I think if if they were if <laughs> sorry they, about that. So no no no, all good. Maybe maybe it's time to to answer it. I I I, I really have been have been avoiding it, and the the reason why I've been avoiding it, Brandon, is because I'm learning so much. I'm having such a great time being in this community where you know there's excellence everywhere that i look like everywhere that i'm looking the colleagues that i work with uh, at jp morgan uh, amazing talent both at our offices in the us and here in uk is just uh, the the sort of disciplines uh, that i got exposure to being at lovebra studying industrial design learning about inclusive design and i remember stepping into my class uh, one time and uh, there was this discussion around inclusive design and where they said hey you're an indian what are you doing in this class inclusive design is all about communities that have figured out the basics and then they can think about accessibility but you guys haven't even figured out the basics and i remember commonwealth uh, games were, were coming up so i i felt embarrassed but at the same time i stood up for my country and i said that you know like there there is an indian sitting in this class today and and learning about accessibility and inclusivity which in itself is such a great step towards that vision where yes uh, you know we will have better resources we will have better better capabilities and we will have better access uh, to the resources that probably we don't have today and i still believe in that vision and the reason why i ventured out to lavra or to uh, new york you know like all of these schools that i went to was just to get that exposure to other design languages and i think design in itself is such an intricate uh, almost uh, you know it's very rom romantic to me uh, my my husband tells me that that i almost have this romance uh, with design where sometimes i'm having a little fight where i'm going through that creative block and sometimes it's just amazing and it's like a first date so that that exploration that i go through with my relationship with design is is only because i could get exposure to the international culture uh, that design is and design is is that that language that can take away barriers of uh, you know hey you come from a different background or a different culture and you look 
differently. You you talk differently. I think when we would put pen to paper, and I remember sketching a lot uh, as a designer, and we would just talk about the sketches, and we would just talk about how to improve each other. And I think that's what I found. So there's still a lot to be learned. At the same time, I haven't given up on my ties in India. I'm very connected to India. Um, you mentioned at the beginning the the amazing research that you did, Brandon, that the, the Dr. Sarojini Naidu Award was bestowed on me because I did all of this work with uh, the Indian society and the Indian government specifically. Uh, A, when I had my design studio back in India, uh, I was working on social enterprises. Uh, enterprise. I was also working on uh, more more recently with the pandemic relief efforts, and you know those opportunities that I could connect communities and I could bring corporations, international corporations, to work with those Indian communities, specifically in remote areas that didn't have access to healthcare. Like that in itself, that impact I could have because of my exposure uh, that allowed me to meet these amazing people. Um, so I really think there's work to be done. Uh, India will always be my motherland. And I and I don't think that that I'll ever say that, you know, like, hey, I'll never be back in India. I know that that I will probably retire in India and, and see what I can do in the meantime to keep uh, doing things that I am able to do virtually with the with the connections that I've made and the amazing friends that I have, the colleagues in design and cross-functional partnerships, product or technology. I hope I can bring that learning back to India and help it to continue to grow the way that it's been. I think design culture in India has come a long way. Yeah, so there's hope again, light uh, at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Well, if your parents are listening to this and maybe some of the rest of your extended family, they'll uh, clearly be delighted to hear that there's light at the end of that tunnel. Now, I want to come back to something that you said, Aditi, regarding your work through your social impact agency, which I believe was called Adisha. Now, you created a campaign for the Indian government, which is, I believe, where this award is, is stemmed from through part of your work doing this. And this really caught my attention as well, because... Part of what you did through Adesha was you worked on some packaging design for female condoms. Now, we've just spoken about the Indian society being patriarchal and all the other things we've spoken about in re with regards to uh, the, the view of uh, female children. This strikes me as a particularly brave design project to be involved in. Was this at all risky for you to do definitely risky for me to do and the risk started first uh, with my own family sort of not understanding it uh, in the first go and you know like uh, there's uh, the whole idea of i know that india is the land of kama sutra but even the whole idea of sex in india is such a huge uh, uh, stigma again right like it's it's so hushed and people don't openly talk about sex education. People don't talk about access of toilets to girls because of which a lot of girls are not going to school. So there's a lot of things that are wrong because we don't feel comfortable having open conversations. And when you stop having open conversations, it leads to these disparities um, that continue to prop up, whether it's access to healthcare, whether it's access to education, 
education, whether it's access to even safety, whether it's psychological safety, emotional safety, or just physical safety as women. And in India, you see the impact of that. Uh, you know, you, you go out to Bollywood movies and there's all of these romantic ideas about what love is, about how it's okay for men to 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 you know really chase a girl down the street and they're singing a song so it's all good but then there's you know audiences out there who are really taking that out in public so it really doesn't leave a lot of resources for women to feel safe and secure when they are stepping out when they are just being themselves and when they are exploring their own womanhood they are not given a chance to do that and I remember coming across this topic because UN was raising this topic at the time uh, for women uh, health and, and safety. And to me, it was a very important topic that had to be discussed. And at, at that time, I was working with some local NGOs that were working with sex workers. So I had never had the opportunity to really understand what their journey was like. So through this project, I could visit their communities and, and talk to these sex workers who were oppressed to say the least and they didn't really have access to any protection whatsoever and they were always exposed and then I went out when I said okay why not get the government to fund female condoms or, or female contraceptive but both of these options are female contraceptives a lot of these women are not really getting any prescriptions they are just given these contraceptives so again nothing safe for them it really you know hinders their chances of having their babies as well in the future if they decide to have uh, babies as well or just thinking about uh, you know female condoms which were so expensive which were i remember at the time about uh, two dollars which is like 150 rupees which in itself uh, is lesser than what these sex workers are making uh, daily. So, you know, when it all adds up, the resources probably on the surface might appear to be there, but they're not really getting accessed by the people who actually need them the most. Uh, so for me, that project of designing a very low cost packaging for female condoms and collaborating with the local NGOs to bring access to, uh, you know, sex, but in a protected way, in a way where they could really control their own destiny and feel safe and avoid uh, not just the diseases, but also avoid unplanned pregnancies uh, that gave them a be better chance at, at life. So, you know, for me, that, that, that project was so special. I could collaborate with these NGOs. We could come up with these, uh, you know, packages and we called it Swayam in Hindi, which means independent. And being independent to me, I think, uh, is what the modern day woman is 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 moving towards. Aditi, you strike me as a bit of an activist mm -hmm. and listening to you describe that situation and your involvement in that, there is a clear fire that burns within you. When was the moment that that fire that was that fire that's there was first lit? Do you remember when you first started to look at the world around you and notice these kinds of injustices and decide that you were someone that could do something about them? Yeah, it, it started at, at my home when I would see 
my two uh, sisters uh, probably you know uh, uh, would they would they would work really hard they would go out there and then they would come back and probably lose a job to another man who was also going for the the marketing job but at a very foundational level it was uh, when i was applying to to grad schools love bra being one of them i also got through art center college of design and at the time it was the top design school in the world and i wasn't really expecting my portfolio to be selected and imposter syndrome yes it was absolutely something that i was i was uh, going through and my selection came through um they at the at the time they did not offer scholarships so i wrote to them and they offered me a scholarship as well a good amount so i went to my parents and i talked to them about taking out a loan but taking out a loan in india was hard because you have to put down a collateral and only on that you would get the the amount of loan that i needed so at that time i realized that and you know then then i went for lovebra great school had some friends in the uk had great scholarship support so it really worked out for me with the year that i had you know in terms of a time investment and uh, the the kind of uh, exposure that i got at lovebra but in hindsight when i when i think about that moment uh, where i knew that i was deserving but i knew that i did not have the resources to go in and get access to that education so one personally that happened to me and then the other thing was on a daily basis when i would see my mother going to slums and she would come back and she would be so happy she would be tired and haggard and uh, you know her sari all, all all over the place and she would come back and she would be so happy and uh, you know just because she would have sent a girl to school so that's how i remember me going you know it's okay that you didn't go to this amazing design college you know like you are getting to go to this design college and look at this other girl who didn't have access to education basic education for 10 years of her life so you know so even though i was curbing this very superficial desire at at some some level uh, but even as a as as a 17 year old i understood that there are better more important things in life where you have to put yourself as second and you have to put someone else's work and put the the incredible amount of compassion that you need to work with that altruism like to work without the need to be recognized for it so i think that that's where the passion really started and i just kept going at it and even i remember when i got into the design school uh, when i went to my my first class uh, i was half in design world i was half in this other world that hey i have left my parents behind what am i doing here i shouldn't be here at all and my professor at the time was so strict that she wouldn't allow any student without a certain quality of work to enter the class and even if you did enter the class if she found your work not not at a certain level she would mark you as absent because you didn't really bring your your whole self uh, to your work so you know it was it was teachers and moments like that 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 and she would always mark me absent so that was she did uh, for the first six months um <laughs> of my of my module with her but then i remember the fourth year when my parents met her 
you know, she just remembered all the amazing things. And even I forgot about that. But my parents remind me on and off that, you know, I would go back and she was she had just given us assignments to draw these straight lines on sheets of paper and then use squares to, you know, uh, express emotions. So how do you use different squares to express a playful emotion or a square to to express scale, you know, like these different emotions that you could play with just with one geometrical form. So she had these amazing foundations of designs that she was helping us explore. And that's what I kept practicing and practicing and practicing. Uh, I never gave up. And she saw that. And she then gave me the highest mark in her class. Um, then she met my parents. And then, you know, of course, my parents were, were, were so happy because uh, she, she did mention uh, the incredible passion that I that I showed then. And, and I really think it was moments like that. It was moments of being pushed too hard, being pushed in that corner where I felt that, hey, nothing's going to work now. Uh, that's when that that magical moment uh, really uh, came out, you know, like that that coal and that. And I'm still in the process of becoming a diamond. I wouldn't mm. say that, that I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm so far off from there. But, you know, I'm, I'm just a heated up coal now is what I would say. Yeah. And you need these people in your life, like your lecturer, who are willing to be kind to you, but not necessarily nice to you and there's a huge distinction there it's actually making me recall a story that bob baxley who spent some time at apple told me on the podcast with regards to steve jobs you know steve jobs is someone who has a bit of a, a polarizing effect on people when they think about him and his leadership style uh, but i asked bob if he feared steve for that reputation that he had of being a bit of a tyrant at times. And he said no, but he said that Steve had a way of working out whether the person that he was leading or trying to get the best out of would respond better to the fear of disappointment or to just incredibly direct and sometimes on the nose feedback. And so you often you do find that people that do go on to do great things in design have had these mentors or these leaders around them that haven't always been nice, but they have they have been they have been kind. So great to hear that story. Now let's turn our attention to banking and where you are currently. Now banking has this perception out there, and it's changing. You know, like India is changing in terms of its patriarchy, but that it's a bit of a boys club and not particularly the most inclusive place to be. So as a, a woman and also as a person of color, is that a fair characterization? I think a lot is changing. It's promising. There is fear. Yes, there's fear that change is not happening fast enough. That's the fear. But again, there's there's a lot of hope that things are moving in the right direction. And for me, diversity and inclusion have always been so important because a lot of great mentors, like you said, and great colleagues and, and people who came across my work, they gave me amazing opportunities to succeed. And I have always found myself doing the same now because kindness was, was shown to me. I seem to, to be finding in me more and more that I'm creating the opportunities, even in banking, for my team. And for me, luckily, the team that I've joined uh, right now at, at JP Morgan Digital Experience Design, 
our managing director, um, the lady who started it all, Deborah Hirschman, she is our diversity and inclusion officer for digital platform services. So not only is she a woman in power in a strong design leadership role, I think she is also a great champion for inclusivity uh, and thinking about diversity as a principle, as a shared principle. So when you have leaders like that, of course, there's promise of a better future. But then I think it comes back to the environment that you're creating uh, around you as a leader. And I feel incredibly responsible for the team that I lead at JP Morgan. So today I'm, I'm uh, you know, again, very lucky to have an incredible, incredible divorce team. I have people who come from different you know, demographical backgrounds, but also people who bring such unique experiences to the team. Um, and I've taken that utmost care to pick the right people to make sure that not only they are coming into the door, but I'm also creating a space for them to stay, to thrive, to find a career in banking, which in itself, I think is such a huge deal because I see a lot of other teams sometimes doing diversity as a form of tokenization. I think it's so much beyond that. It's really about not just uh, recruiting that, that talent, but also thinking about their career progression plans and thinking about every moment that they're spending with you in in, in uh, a work environment, outside of that work environment as well, what sort of messages are being shared? So I think there's there's subtleties in how we approach um, inclusive teams. And by being inclusive, by being uh, very attentive to the words, to your actions, to the context that you're creating for your teams, I think it's, it's so important because then that's the culture that you're building day in, day out. Culture is not built in a day. It's about every action that you are modeling as a leader what are you promoting because change is also hard and change takes time so you have to find things that probably are gaps today are, are not working well and not be afraid to highlight them um, you need sponsors and you need people who are uh, adopters of your change as well so bringing that diversity into work not just by saying okay I'm going to get this girl of Indian origin to lead the team, but also say, okay, what is the environment that she need around her to be successful at what she does? Understanding the personality types of the people that you're working with, what are their practices, what are their affinities, uh, what behaviors and uh, and cognitive patterns are you know are they exhibiting at, at workplace and maybe outside of workplace as well? There's so so many things that we can learn when we focus on conversations and when we are truly listening and going beyond the work uh, as well. So I think for me, within banking, we've created this microculture and my design team at JP Morgan, we are known by the name of Transformers. And if you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a whole franchise. <laughs> and uh, we have these little design pods and they call me Optimus Prime. Oh, wow. That my I team was going to so say, kind. are you Optimus Prime? Yeah, yeah, yeah my yeah. team is absolutely <laughs> so kind. But, uh, you know, like I have uh, every design pod is made up of uh, folks so actually you know one of them is is someone who comes from a pharmacy background there's there's you know folks who who transition from being an architect to being a ux designer there's folks who are have have been uh, you know a sales associate 
and now they are a UX designer. So I think I am trying to celebrate the differences that these guys are bringing onto the team because uh, these conversations that I have with my team, they are fantastic. Everyone's bringing a different perspective and that's where innovation truly also starts. Uh, so by having that, the team culture and giving it the brand name that we did, we've now received multiple excellence awards and really the excellence awards have been a product of the open conversation, feeling safe, uh, feeling that I won't be judged, feeling that I don't need to get it right the first time, feeling that, that hey, you know what, I'm new to this and maybe someone else is too. Taking that journey together and creating moments of mentorship and sponsorship uh, for people who are coming onto your team. So one is, hey, I'm your manager and let me give you this career guidance on how to proceed at this firm specifically, but also making sure that whenever you are in a meeting with them, modeling that behavior, creating space for everybody to speak up, um, sharing your feedback, um, not first, but at the very last of the conversation and maybe speaking up in a space where you're not supposed to be speaking as a junior designer, breaking the norms, asking questions and allowing space to be who you are. Um, and then also providing that grace back to them with a lot of compassion. I think as a design community, um, especially with so much creativity that we have, we are the, the right champions for diversity we can understand people from a different lens and that's such such a superpower to have uh, we can mold ourselves in any any conversations and the way that we also are so collaborative again it makes us amazing ambass ambassadors for inclusivity and building that that amazing culture that we can even in a space like banking although there there are some fears that that we are not moving fast enough I do think, uh, you know, with examples like myself, with uh, uh, an industry uh, which are, you know, a lot of folks may not think of as glamorous. Uh, I specifically work in payments operations, which is uh, even the most non-glamorous thing in banking. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's the non-glamorous, non-glamorous part of, of uh, what designers are, are thought to be doing. So I think that's really helped me develop this uh, appreciation for how much diversity is important to understand uh, a, a business uh, core operations and then to approach it with that innovative mindset by bringing in outside perspective and always looking in. So moving towards a great future, definitely very positive. And I hope that I continue to see the amazing diversity that the design community is upholding in any industry, whether it be banking or any other. Aditi, you spoke about the need to make space for others and for diversity to be more than just a form of tokenism. And I did a bit of research into both tech generally and also into banking and just how diverse it is. Now, there's definitely encouraging signs, as you've spoken about, at the, uh, the, the entry and middle, maybe even middle upper sort of levels of leadership within firms, both in tech and in banking. Now, in tech, tech still roughly 80% male um, and predominantly white. And banking, at least from 
the North American stats that I could find. According to McKinsey, 64% of financial services C-suite executives are white men and 23% are white women. That means that there's just 9% of C-suite positions for men and women and people of other genders of color. How do you feel, given where you currently stand in your career, and I suppose specifically in the organization that you're in, when you hear that there's only 9% of the seats at the table available to people like you? It definitely makes me feel very competitive. <laughs> my uh, my <laughs> my chip on my shoulder is, is shining a lot more now. When I think about my my smaller community that sits within IT or within banking, you know, that's not encouraging as well. So even as a design community, we haven't embraced women leadership as much as as we should be. When you look at these design schools and even at Pratt, most of my students who are getting straight A's are women. So and when I when I go out and when I look at the representations, even for me, you know, incidentally, I'm the first executive, not not the first, the only executive design director in the UK office for our digital experience design team, which you know, is is a great start, but I am so so inspired to see more women come and join uh, the team uh, that that I'm building. So that's why I put a lot of emphasis on promoting from within and building your your leaders and bringing in bringing in uh, you know uh, these these folks who are not getting represented or not getting the right support in outside forums, but but for you to create that talent in-house and to support that talent and promote that talent. Last year, you know, three women on my team, uh, they were promoted to vice presidents. And that to me uh, was such a great moment because, you know, on the list, I saw these three women um, and all three of them were on my team. And to me, uh, you know, that was a testament to what even a single leader can do because I had the right support from the leaders above me uh, to create this, the, the space and the career path and this career ladder, uh, breaking that, that glass ceiling that we are always finding ourselves uh, stuck in. So I think it's about creating uh, moments of recognition, creating moments of confidence, creating a, a space where you can have open conversations and feel okay by admitting that there's a lot more to be done, but by also saying that there's a solid governance plan for me to bring in this change within my organization. We need to have a strategy for how to have early adopters. We need to have a strategy for bringing more women to, to schools, uh, to keep them in schools, to support their education. Um, and if they find themselves in creative endeavors, supporting that as well, not just thinking about traditional outlets of work, like being a doctor or being a, you know, a, being a, an engineer, but really thinking about creative, um, uh, you know, uh, endeavors like being a designer or just being an actor or just being a writer, anything that that they aspire to do, uh, creating that space when they start as young girls, giving them uh, that comfort, that safety, uh, and give, building that confidence within them. 
by by showing that day in day out and and i think that's the upbringing that i've brought into what i do as a as a design leader and i'm hoping that these three vps um, they keep telling me that you know I, I at some point we might end up building an all women design team and i said okay that <laughs> that might be going to extreme as well so so really thinking <laughs> about that that balance of uh, where you don't have to overcompensate for one gender over the other thinking about about equity uh, over equality uh, at this time so so that that's what i think is is the most burning question for me today like what are you doing as a design leader what are you bringing to the table how are you influencing change how are you having those difficult conversations with people who come from the design community who come from the it community from the banking community or any other industry uh, that you're working in and then making sure that you're giving back Uh, to the society as well taking out that time maybe just once every quarter um to say i'm just going to give 30 minutes of my time coaching mentoring guiding this other person who probably needs it more than you that's a a really nice idea and a really important practice and something that's sorely lacking in most people's career journeys Aditi, you spoke about glass ceilings and you also spoke about influencing change then. And I want to take a slightly different tack now and talk about uh, design's role more broadly in influencing change. And it's becoming more apparent, at least in enterprise, that design is becoming more important to how the business does its business. But designers don't often feel like they're taken as seriously as perhaps they believe they deserve why do you feel that design is often not seen as the most important or the most credible voice in the room there's there's many many reasons for that i think i'll start with the first very very important point which starts with you with your own introspection and belief in the power of design knowing and believing that design is important and standing by that voice not letting someone else's opinion about their their knowledge of design or the lack of uh influence how you feel about design i think it takes away a lot of confidence when you step into difficult conversations if you think or you perceive and assume that maybe the stakeholder does not really understand design i think that's throw away the assumptions and just walk in with the innocence of a child and then maybe you'll be disappointed and you'll be told that hey i really don't care about design and you guys can come in later when when i need to build up some ui um, but at least you will um, have opened up you know uh, that 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 understanding that you're lacking this perspective of design altogether for your stakeholder so i think one it starts by you believing in the power of design and in the voice of design but more practically and fundamentally speaking i think for our stakeholders today we really need to build up our business domain knowledge um as designers we sometimes are not spending enough time to go be curious and to be a scientist and a scientist really needs to explore a scientist needs to experiment and a scientist needs to always evaluate so that you can keep going from a hypothesis and build these theories i think we get stuck with theories so quickly 
it's it's you know it's like quicksand we we are sucked into it and we believe that that's the world that we we shouldn't be in but we are sometimes signing up for it because we haven't built up the curiosity to go ask the difficult questions to question the questions really and and say and ask them about how how do your business operations work today how is jp morgan making money uh, how are your services divided which products do you offer how do you interact with your clients uh, can i please sit with you and observe you while you attend this client call basic questions like this i think it's okay to to go and ask and learn and build up that business domain knowledge um, that will help you become valuable in any conversation uh, and being valuable is the most critical aspect of being considered important uh, so for you to come into a conversation and for you to have a say you need to bring your own perspective and you can only bring that by understanding what's happening around you and how is the business operating today so being curious to me first building your voice and second being curious about what the business operations are uh, who are the players who are the personas what is the client segment look like what is the go to market strategy what's out there in the competitive landscape i think just being ahead of the game uh, and really engrossing yourself even in difficult topics to me is is very critical to being considered important and then the last thing to me is is all about uh, change management which comes with strong stakeholder relationships i think we start with the idea of that our stakeholder does not understand design but what if we were to take a completely different uh, you know uh, understanding of that and change how we perceive design altogether and say that every designer uh, is doing a different job today or every other person out there is a designer maybe we can start to blur the lines between the roles that we've carved out for what business is doing what product is doing what a technologist is doing i think we've created these silos even in how we are building products so we can always crack agile methodologies on a piece of paper but unless we really understand what does an empowered product team look like what is that right cross functional ratio of product design and technology and which skill sets do i need that's where you can start to build products that will be the eternal and they will solve problems they will make this this world much better than what it is today uh, and that's the responsibility that we are carrying forward as designers into any conversations so starting with your stakeholders building that relationship being open to the idea that everyone can be a designer and starting there i think is another great way to increase your influence as a design leader because now you will start to say i have left my ego outside of this door i come and i'll do the best that i can i'll i can help you visualize where you're trying to get to i can make this meeting much more valuable for you i think we need to show them incremental value and then we also need to show them that overall long term north star vision so that you can get everyone excited towards what's coming uh that's that's our job really we are always in that selling mode always saying that there's better things coming and to me ux is never done so 
thinking about those three aspects of finding your voice and building that that business domain knowledge and then strengthening your partnerships with stakeholders uh, will help you really create those amazing products uh, that will disrupt the market that will enable new experiences that can change the world it's really encouraging to hear you describe that so clearly. And I believe, or at least I hope, that there's a growing appreciation in design circles that while design is a very powerful language, it's not the only language that our organizations speak. And that if we're able to step outside of our own domain and, as you've suggested, build those relationships, show that incremental value, strengthen or break down, I should say, break down those silos that we've become accustomed to operating in, that we really can start to wield more influence and do so in a way that's benefiting both design, the business that we work in, and also the people that we serve through the products that we're creating. I was also really captivated listening to you describe what you've just described at Aditi, because you're someone who, and I just want to put this in perspective for people who just four short years ago was working in the capacity as a UX designer. And now you're an executive director of design at one of the most prestigious banks in the world. How did you figure this all out? Because you've joined a lot of dots and what, at least from the outside in, seems to be an incredibly short amount of time. <laughs> to me, on the inside, it, it's felt like a long, long time. <laughs> but, but I know that, that, you know, like for me, my journey started back in India. It started as a product designer you know, more than a decade ago. Um, and for me coming out of college um, and starting a job and uh, not really knowing where to start and what to do and finding this amazing place where I got to learn about product design and, uh, you know, 3D design and urban infrastructure and uh, building up bus shelters. So I learned all about and the engineering aspect of design, which got me interested in industrial design. So I've really moved from industrial design and understanding the core principles of design as a practice. And design to me is something that I practice not just at work, but with everything that I do, even with how I'm making my meals to how I'm cleaning my home i'm thinking about these basic principles of design and i know some folks might might be thinking she's definitely ocd but it, it it's you know like it's it's so much more than than uh, you know just just doing or sticking with one aspect of design so i started with that industrial design product design background and then i transitioned to human computer interaction and the reason i did that was because i got exposure to uh, doing these signages for commonwealth games in india and i remember i sent something into production to our factory and we used to have this factory about a hundred kilometers away from where, where i would work in gurgaon um, in India. 
but I traveled and and I figured the 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 drawing that I had sent over because I didn't really appreciate the manufacturing processes. I sent the sheet to be laser cut in the mirror image of what was supposed to come out. So my production, I ended up losing <laughs> these these uh, you know five uh, of stainless steel huge uh, six by six feet uh, sheets and. My boss, of course, my first job was, of course, quite uh, furious to to say the least. But he was very kind uh, because he then taught me how to understand and appreciate how to be a designer by listening and learning and and really immersing yourself in how products are built. Uh, so I then spent the next three months uh, just at the shop floor. I just got an apartment close to the factory. I would go in uh, to the factory uh, every morning with the factory siren. And I worked with, uh, you know, uh, the the artists who were creating all of these amazing shelters. And I learned how to do TIG welding. And I became the first woman uh, at the factory to learn how to do welding. So I think I explored the the multidimensionality of design and the different dimensions as they opened up, I understood that at the core, they talk about the same principles of the, of being human-centered. That's the approach that I took to Lovefra as well. So when I went to that program, when I learned about sustainability, when I learned about inclusive design, when I, when I did 3D modeling, when I did rapid prototyping, I kept going back to that everything is about human-centered design. And when I'm thinking about a product, I need to be thinking about how will this information display on this product? I ended up creating this cubicle kitchen for my master's project at Lavra, which would fit in this three, three meter by three meter cube. And it was for a tiny home concept. And you know, it, it really took off and I did all of these crazy things with the with the electronics and, and I figured out soldering and my gadgets would work and my countertop would open up and I had magnetic dishes. So I tried everything with that. And then thinking about ergonomics, thinking about how would uh, the kitchen timer display, you know, little things like that, which helped me understand that that there is this this other aspect of design that I'm totally fully not grasping and that was human computer interaction so my my program at Pratt then helped me open up what what web design was and knowing you know that that I needed to practice it right away I worked with this design agency in London, it was called the Big Idea Group, and they would give us these freelance projects to work off of. So I would submit these freelance projects, and I, I got through, uh, you know, a couple of projects with Gosh, with the uh, British Heart Foundation, doing their signages. So from signages, I moved to understanding how web design works and what is product design. That got me to the design agency at Multimedia, where I, you know, went up the ranks and I became a UX lead from UX lead I went to Accenture Interactive and then from Accenture to now at JP Morgan and that's that leap that's the leap that I'm speaking about there's clearly there's the craft aspect of design and you're clearly a very curious and also a committed person 
you know, to do things like move next to the factory, go in with the factory workers, get your hands dirty to really understand what it is that these people are doing. Like that's an intense level of curiosity. And I would like to think also that that is something that all designers share uh, to various degrees and something that as designers, if we can work more on that curiosity, particularly when it comes to reflecting it inwards in our organizations into the other departments and aspects of what our businesses are doing that will serve us really well. And you can learn craft. You know, there are institutions who have been teaching craft for a long time and craft is a beautiful thing. It really is. It makes our world a much better world to live in. The experiences and the designs that we can, you know, appreciate that designers have made. But design leadership, joining the dots, understanding influence, or as Uday Gajenda would suggest, it's the statecraft of being a designer, is much more opaque, to me at least, as to how designers can really fully and truly realize all the skills that they have and actually wield influence within organizations. Now, I was curious about this with you because you are relatively fresh into this corporate design world. And yet, as I said, you've seemed to figure out, and it's not just the words that you're saying, I really truly believe that you understand or you're at least getting a really good grasp on how to be effective in this corporate context. So for the designers that are listening to this, that have aspirations to be leaders or have recently adopted a leadership position but are feeling like they're on shaky ground, that their imposter syndrome is going through the roof and they're not really sure, what words can you share with them or what dot can you join, dots can you join for them now on this podcast that might help them to be more effective leaders? I think I'm fortunate that I have amazing, amazing mentors who have really called out things that that are within me, not not something that I was trying to, you know, a lot of times we, we all think that I think the imposter syndrome starts with that, when you don't think that you're enough, and you're looking for something that's not within you, uh, outside of you. And, and, you know, to all the designers who are out there who are, who are planning or starting their journey towards design leadership, I'll say just first start by believing that you have something important to share with the world. And by being observant and being highly focused, I think you can do a lot more with the same hours that everyone also probably has. Focusing on the task that's assigned to you, being present, the way that I'm feeling with you as well, Brandon, right? Like you, like you're here, you are in this conversation and you're truly here to, to know more about me. And that inherent curiosity, which starts from a place of genuine curiosity, like you have to be genuinely interested in the topic, I don't think you can fake curiosity. You can maybe when your boss is attending one of your research sessions, but you know, like beyond that, like it's really about how you carry that curiosity, not just when you're trying to understand business processes, but also when you're having that small conversation with your product owner. 
even that small conversation when you actually paid attention this person would have talked about a business process or maybe brought up a requirement to you uh, or maybe shared a tidbit maybe talked about an opportunity where design could step in or lean in a, a little more those are opportunities where you can show that initiatives and start setting in those amazing stakeholder relationships that's the beginning of that and you start forming these little incubators you find your people really and then you say wow this person can truly talk to me this person does not mind spending the time to go through this business process with me so any time that i have a question i'm going to go go to this person and ask them this question i'll feel okay asking them this question and i've found so many people even at jp morgan who are who become amazing friends and i joined jp morgan and, and i remember the very next week we went into lockdown so i surely didn't have a chance to form in person connections but i found all of these connections just because i was truly genuinely interested in what this other person was saying when i came into jp morgan as well i had a very small team because my role was really about being a lead designer and going in and just doing what we needed to keep things moving but i think i went i could go beyond that because i had amazing partnerships and and people who believed that i was listening to them who believed that i was paying attention because every time i would come back into a meeting i would bring an artifact so all of these words that we were usually exchanging in a meeting were replaced by an artifact that they could react to they could they could you know point out things that were not working well with it and that took a lot of me sort of disintegrating all the ego that i had gathered along the way thinking you know what i'm a great designer you 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 really have to leave all of that behind and you just have to be this other person who's marching forward you you're a part of the gang you're a part of the army and you are in the shared mission with them to make a product that's much better a product that can truly change how this business is operating today and i think that's a lot of responsibility and i take my job like not just because i'm passionate about it at work outside of it as well i'm very lucky and honored that i get to do something that i'm i'm so crazy about and i enjoy doing uh, but i take that into my work as well where we have great conversations where my stakeholders have sometimes been like hey this is not great like let's not see this ever again you know and i've been okay with that because i've come to realize oh okay this is their perspective and maybe i need to approach the conversation or frame the conversation in a different way and it's really about that framing building the, that monumental vision with them and saying that here are my steps and i am valuable and i can help you deliver this value to your users to your business and really change that bottom line because i'm here i'm present uh, i'm here to have that conversation with you i'm here in your mission together to create something that's amazing uh, and that genuineness i think no one can can really hide that like it's so it's so real and i've i've come across you know in most of my interviews my interviews are usually done in 15 minutes when i when i see someone just because you know like i first of all i i'd like to do like a portfolio review 
or maybe just a case study that they they want to send along just so that i can understand the person but then i i like to do like no video interviews so that i am just having this conversation and how focused was i in that conversation how much could i learn about this person and you know giving yourself that opportunity to be open to to be a designer because designer is truly someone who is trying to get perfect you're always in that journey to perfect you're never perfect and uh, that's what you're doing you're iterating and when you're iterating that means that uh, you know being a failure being wrong is okay being vulnerable as a leader is okay so if you're looking for that journey towards design leadership find your partners believe in yourself and always think about how are you evaluating experimenting exploring and reporting back to people around you so that you're keeping them motivated as well you're telling them that hey this is what we did together and here's the impact of that you're thinking about the business value of design that will get you from being a designer to being a design leader when you start being valuable Aditi, you are one of the most clever, curious, and courageous people that I have spoken with, and you're a great role model for all designers. Thank you for so generously sharing your stories and your insights with me today. Thank you so much, Brandon. It's been such a pleasure. The the questions, the conversations, uh, just a memorable time. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. Aditi, if people want to find out more about you and your practice and your leadership, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm the most active on LinkedIn. Other social media handles I've given up on. <laughs> Fair enough. Focus. Like you said, it's important to have focus. Thanks, Aditi. And to everyone that's tuned in, it's been great having you here as well. Everything that we've covered will be in the show notes, including where you can find Aditi and all of the good stuff, the great stuff that we've spoken about today. If you've enjoyed the show and you want to hear more great conversations like this with world-class leaders in UX design and product management, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review also if you've enjoyed the conversation, and pass the show along to someone else that would get value from hearing these great conversations as well. If you want to reach out to me, you can find my LinkedIn profile at the bottom of the show notes or just find me via LinkedIn search under Brendan Jarvis, or you can head on over to my website, which is thespaceinbetween.co.nz. That's thespaceinbetween.co.nz. And until next time, keep being brave. Hey.